News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk. So a special Oroctus committee will meet today to discuss consent and capacity in relation to the prospect of lifting the government's legal ban on assisted dying. We're joined now by uh, Dr. Brendan O'Shea, Kildare GP, Assisted uh, Adjunct Professor in Public Health and Primary Care at Trinity College Dublin, and a member of Irish Doctors Supporting Medical Assistance in Dying, and also by Professor Siobhan McHale, Consultant Liaison Psychiatrist in Bowman Hospital and member of the Colleges of Psychiatrists of Ireland. Uh, Brendan, to you first, uh, you welcome this move by the government? Uh, Yes, well, it's very long overdue, um, but it's certainly very timely. um, And this is an issue for a small uh, but important number of people uh, who are suffering from a number of different medical conditions. uh, And it it holds out the prospect uh, uh, that medical assistance in dying may become available as a choice for them uh, in Ireland. And in Ireland, we're quite behind the curve uh, of affluent societies where this choice is already available uh, for people um, who are approaching end of life in Canada, in Australia, in American states, in uh, Austria, uh, Belgium, Holland, the Netherlands and Portugal. Um, so this is an important committee and it's an important topic. Okay, Siobhan, do you have reservations? Um, very much so. I, I think it's important to say that that all sides of this debate, we have a common aim, the aim of 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 living with dignity, of dying with dignity. But our concern is, and the vast majority of doctors and the professional groups are opposed to this legislation. The American American Medical Association, the Irish College of Psychiatrists have, have produced a position paper opposing this legislation legislation, the palliative care consultants, because of the huge concerns and risks, although this is relevant to a small number of patients, once this is introduced as legislation, it actually becomes a decision and a choice that every single person in this country has to make. So we then are in a position for every decision for terminal health care or end of life health care, we have to introduce for everyone the choice of do you want assisted living? Do you want to make the decision that you don't want to have the palliative care supports, the psychiatry care supports, and the fear that this breeds and, and leads to in our patients, because we know that it's patients' fear of what's ahead. We know from other research in Oregon and other places, it's because of fear and loss of hope that people choose assisted dying. We know that palliative care and good psychiatric care, because we know that patients who choose to end their life in the context of a terminal illness are eight times more likely to be depressed than patients who don't choose to end their lives in the context of of terminal illness. So I'm concerned about my patient who is dealing with the challenges of an end-of-life journey, their fears, their hopes around how to manage this in a a supported society and and what this will introduce for for patients. Okay, Uh, let me bring Brendan back in. Uh, How about those concerns, Brendan? They're very important concerns and would um, particularly uh, re- reflect in Siobhan's opening statements. And the common aim here uh, is to work hard to figure out what is the best way for people uh, in relation to what is a really important issue for them. Let's say uh, that in 19 out of 20 people who are dying, this isn't relevant. Um, and we see this in different society- in all of the other societies where this has been introduced. And what we see is, is that when this is introduced as a choice for people uh, who might need it, 
uh, in the order uh, of about one in 10 people consider it closely. And of that one in 10, about half of them might proceed uh, to avail of the service if the service was available. So it becomes important maybe for about one in 10 to one in 20 of all people who are dying. Um, It's not an issue for doctors. Um, So uh, really, we would say to uh, news talk listeners out there, certainly be interested in what the College of Psychiatrists has to say about it or the ICGP or any of those other medical associations. Uh, But ultimately, it's a decision for people, not for doctors. Um, I spoke to several of my psychiatric colleagues, and yes, some of them are anti it. Uh, Some of them are uh, uncertain. Uh, And some of them were quite um, uh, surprised, really, that the College of Psychiatry would issue a paper uh, that purports to represent all psychiatrists. But in actual fact, I don't think that paper uh, was actually supported by an opinion poll uh, or by a poll of College of Psychiatry members. Um, So I think it is important to uh, look at some of the details, but it's important to look at the real details. Yes, Siobhan, do you want to respond to that? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a pity to undermine a confidence in the College of Psychiatrists position paper. This paper was very thoughtfully introduced across the college through all the faculties and every individual. Was it representative? It was a representative group through the faculty structure. There wasn't an individual opinion poll taken, but it was discussed through every single faculty and reached out to every single member to have their opinions given. As we know, many people who, who give opinions um, I, I tend to be from groups who have more interest in this area, either in one direction or another. But the other area I'd like to emphasize is that this greatly undermines our, our approach to how we have a zero tolerance approach to suicide in our society and the importance for patients and people who can't see any other alternative to dealing with the problem that they have, but to end their lives. And the same pertains whether that problem is a decision about how can I cope with uh, the fears and, and potential losses okay. of an end-of-life journey versus this, the same in and, terms of any other social demands? And can I ask you, uh, um, Brendan mentioned what happens in other countries. Are you, um, are you reassured by the experience of other countries who've introduced this? Absolutely not. First of all, I think it's important to emphasise that the the majority of affluent countries have not introduced this legislation. The United Kingdom are in the same situation. We very much welcome this debate because it is an important debate to ensure that we're progressing with with the appropriate care pathways, supporting uh, all the work that's been done by our volunteers in our society in terms of Um, advocating for support for people who are suicidal, advocating for people who need hospice care. But we know that there's an inevitable, the safeguards don't work. We know in Canada, in Belgium, in Netherlands, they've all been expanded to cover patients with mental illness, separate from patients with physical illness. We know that that other jurisdictions has been found discriminatory. Let me just put that that to to Brendan, that the the safeguards don't work in those countries. I have to say, Brendan, as well, I I, I do want to ask you, I was kind of shocked at that Business Post poll over the weekend, two thirds of people saying uh, that they were in favour of assisted dying even uh, when it wasn't a terminal illness we were talking about. Like, is there a danger of sleepwalking into this? Well, uh, there is, of course, there's a danger of all sorts of different things happening. Um, uh, and we could make, uh, we might make a, quite a bad job of this, but I doubt it. Uh, and I doubt uh, that the Belgians uh, and the people from Netherlands and the people in the state of Oregon and the Australians in particular have made a bad job of it. 
uh, one of the challenges for all of us who are grappling with this, and I hope it's all the news talk listeners out there this morning, is, is that there is so much uh, research and data available uh, on how this has been introduced in different systems. So our decisions in the committee this morning uh, and for the months that it's working, there are two questions. Should this be available as a choice uh, for whom it may be relevant uh, for people in, who are dying in Ireland? Um, and if it is, uh, what way would the system be set up? Um, so uh, these are really the two, the okay. two issues. All right. Uh, uh, but I, I, I think it's probably not helpful uh, to state uh, that uh, by supporting the availability of medical assistance in dying, the introduction of which is very strongly supported in the Sunday Business Poll, uh, is in any way undermining or cutting back on the support uh, of all okay. the good people who are working to prevent suicide, for example. It's probably not helpful to do that. OK, Siobhan, a very brief final word from you. Um, I know while it may not be helpful to say it, I think it is the reality of the situation. OK, we will leave it there. Dr. Brenda O'Shea, uh, Professor Siobhan McHale, thank you indeed uh, for joining us and talking to News Talk Breakfast this morning. Yeah, I mean, it's a very complicated area, Shane. And, and I, I, with some reluctance and some caveats, certainly strong caveats, would would agree that assisted dying in certain circumstances is probably appropriate. But, but I think you have to be incredibly careful because what people need to realise is things like the right to die does become, in some cases, the duty to die. And there are pressures that if you haven't maybe thought a lot about medical ethics, that... Um, can really confuse yeah. and and dilute some of these, uh, I, I suppose, debates. Look, let's have a, a proper debate on it. Let's not do it because it's the right thing to do or seen as the right on thing to do. Let's have a proper debate about it. And let us know your thoughts as well. You can uh, drop us a text 52106 at a cost of 30 cent or WhatsApp us on 087 News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk.